Thank you, music team. Brandon, Adam, Michael, Lauren, Victoria. And the uh, team behind the team. I'm going to take this off. So some uh, added sounds. Thanks, Garth, for the signal. It's uh, like I'm wearing a mask. I don't know if I'm wearing it. Am I taking it off? Am I putting it on? What am I doing? It's getting confusing. Sex. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Big bold letters. S-E-X was on a poster in a college dorm. Underneath it, it said, now that I've got your attention, would you consider signing up for our rowing team? <laughs> it is something that grabs our attention. I remember years back, uh, I was working in Toronto downtown by the waterfront, and I was walking, I'd take, get out of the train, walking over, uh, to the office building that I was in. And there, you know these really big signs, like huge signs that you could see on the highway. There's this massive sign as I'm walking, and it was there for a long time, of a woman uh, looking up. There was sunshine. She was drenched wet, and she had sunglasses on. The advertisement was for sunglasses. And it was upsetting me. It was because I felt like I was accosted. And I didn't know, like, I was walking, I'm like, I don't want to look at that, but it's right there. It's an attention grabber. We, we are, in many ways, uh, sex-obsessed in this world. Uh, it, it's actually maybe a way of describing humanity, uh, uh, one of the ways, and it seems that it has been a, a descriptor for humankind from the outset. Abraham, married to Sarah, they are moving into different regions, and they move into this region where there is a ruler by the name of Abimelech. He takes a liking to Sarah. Abraham pretends that his wife is his sister. Abimelech wants to add Sarah to the list of his uh, lovers, and the whole thing gets messy. Judah, one of the uh, 12 sons of, of Jacob, a prominent, well sort of suited uh, man, Judah, gets caught up with Tamar, who is his daughter in law, who she puts on a disguise, and he gets tangled up with her. Now, you could say, well, yeah, but that's her, you know, sort of uh, uh, confusing and, and, and uh, getting him caught up. But the thing is, he got caught up with her because he thought she was a prostitute, and so he was just caught up. David. He goes up onto his, his deck, sees a woman... Across the way, likes her, Bathsheba, she's married to Uriah. David organizes to send Uriah to a part of the war where he is surely going to be killed. And when he isn't, he, gets, he, he does it again until finally he's killed so that he could have this woman. 
And then we have his son, David's son, Solomon, who is this really wise guy. Unfortunately, uh, he wasn't thinking all the time with his head. Because he gets caught up with all these women. Exactly the big problem. He gets caught up with women from different religions and different cults. I haven't even mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, the list could go on. And then we fast forward 2,000 years, roughly, to the era of the Apostle Paul. And now he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. And listen to what he says in Ephesians 5, starting at verse 3. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 3. But fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among saints. Entirely out of place is obscene, silly, and vulgar talk. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure person or one who is greedy, that is, an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes present on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be associated with them. So, this matter of... uh, Sexual obsession remains even 2,000 years now in the era that Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. It remains a difficulty and he's bringing it up here really directly. It's present in the cities that he's in. Uh, There are so many ways of casual sex. Some religions and cults actually had sexual practices that they believed were part of their religion and their cult. There are archaeologists that have um, uh, discovered uh, artifacts from the first century AD where there are paintings on walls and paintings on poetry associated with this kind of uh, uh, obsession with uh, uh, intercourse and, and sex and all of these sorts of things. So what's going on here? What is Paul uh, talking about? Like, is... is Intercourse bad? Is it taboo? Is that what he's getting at? Is, is he saying when he says don't associate, is he saying basically don't associate with people who have an interest in intercourse or who, who have sex? Is, and when he talks about wrath, is he saying that God, or, God is basically just angry at everybody? What's going on? What is the directive that Paul is giving to the church in the midst of a sex-crazed world that's all around him. And friends, the systems and structures that uh, are prevalent today continue to propel us in this direction of, of, of this obsession. The systems and structures. Do you notice um, when you watch movies, do you, are you aware, are you sensitive to the way that they um, uh, subtly sort of indicate and and promote different sexual promiscuity. TV shows, a lot of TV sitcoms end with a man and woman in bed. They don't even necessarily married. It's just subtle, these systems and structures. What about clothing and clothing stores? I'm walking in a mall back in the days when I would walk in malls. 
right? I'm not going to name stores like Garage, but for example. And you see these things that are like on the windows in, and they're advertising. And I'm thinking like, I have two daughters, okay? So if I'm, I'm a little, you know, but what are they showing? What are the clothing stores showing? What are they continuing to advocate all the time? Systems and structures or advertisements in a TV show or in a magazine or online when you're watching something, the advertisements. Do you notice? Hey, if you buy this car, you'll be sexy, right? Even the word sexy, it grabs attention. You're going to be cool. You're going to get the girl or if you dress this way, you'll get the guy. All these systems and structures. And so here's what is interesting to me is the way that uh, churches teach and preach about this subject. There's a couple of ways that it can go. Uh, Legalism or libertinism. So legalism or uh, liberty. Some people will say, well, look at, uh, uh, you know, Jesus and the treatment of the uh, woman who was caught in adultery. He seems to kind of just let it ride. Not to mention, uh, you know, the, the betrayer, Judas, he just seems... To, but then on the flip side, the, the, you know, some of the legalists would say, well, okay, we have the list of the sins, we have, then we have certain steps that we have to take, and we just have to come down on every sin this way and this way and this way. So you have this harshness or you have this mildness. And if, if you've been growing up listening and, and being a part of church in the 20th century and now into the 21st century, you would have heard one of those two uh, types of approaches. And so we have today men and women that are getting married in order to have sex. Because uh, they, they're told, like, you, you know, sex is meant for marriage. And so, they're, you know, well, then I have to get married. And then you land up with this uh, marriage scenario where you don't actually have mutual love and respect. But you have this total other kind of um, relationship. And then we have the, the, the sort of the reverse, which is when, when young people and others hear that this kind of teaching is off, it doesn't make sense and it's wrong. Um, well, then, uh, I'm getting quite a bit of feedback here, Zach. Probably uh, spiritual warfare, because we're getting into it. But you have young people and others who are going, wait a second, that kind of teaching doesn't make any sense where God is angry and he's, he doesn't like sex or intercourse and, and, and all of that. And so they go the other way and they say, well, since that doesn't make any sense to me, then anything goes. Casual sex and, and it doesn't really matter. Michael Adams is a president of Environics. Um, research. He's a researcher and an author, and he's written uh, several books. But one of the books talks about the difference uh, by, by generation, the, the builders. So, uh, you know, um, those that are right now maybe 70 or 80 years old, 65 to 85, and, and, and they're the builder generation. The, and they basically were quite traditional, social, get-together, traditional in nature. Then you have the boomers uh, that came along, so 65 to maybe uh, uh, 50 or something like that, or now I guess you'd be 70 to 55 or something like that. Um, but the boomer generation are kind of loosening up, and they're more trying to uh, sort things out. And then you have uh, the Generation X, Y, Zs, who are what Michael Adams called the hot-wired generation. They're learning and they're exposing and, and finding everything by way of electronics. And what he's saying is the trajectory, the, the, the idea is that the, we are moving, socially, we are moving from a traditional and social 
to a modern and individualistic, or you could say from a social to an individual, and from a traditional to a totally deconstructed way of living. Not traditional, but so what he is pointing out in, in this massive research that he's doing is that the social trajectory is towards more complexity and more licentiousness, which is more sort of a free way of living. And what's interesting to me is that the church, the, the churches, congregations and leadership together, we, the, the, the posture, the perspective is that what Paul is talking about in all of that, and this fornication and this uh, sexual obsession and all of that is something that's happening out there. And when we read and we talk about this, we think, yeah, they're, they're bad people out there and we need to do something about that. When in reality, Paul in writing here is writing to the congregation in Ephesus. He's writing to the members of the congregation. He's speaking to the members of the congregation. This is an internal matter. Uh, in another letter, 1 Corinthians 5, 12, Paul says, What have I to do with judging people who are outside the church? He's speaking to the members of the congregation. And there's no shortage of leaders, church leaders, who have fallen either to promiscuity or greed and congregants alike. And so really the question is, what is the directive to the members of the congregation amidst this prevailing promiscuity and greed? What is the scriptural advice to the members of the congregation? We continue reading from Paul in Ephesians Five. I'm going to go 8 to 11, and then I'm going to drop in again at 15 to 17. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Verse 15, be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He is saying, congregants, church, he is saying that you are different. As a follower of Jesus, when you have said yes to Jesus, and the, you have received the Holy Spirit, and you have been stamped with the Holy Spirit, you are different. You are different than you once were, and you are different than the world around you. To be sure, you are exactly the same, except different. You are now light. A metaphor. He says you are now light. And this is God's doing. 
This is what God does in his grace. He transforms us. He changes us. Last week, we talked about this model, uh, maturity model, and I have uh, borrowed it from Dr. Jeffrey Greenman. Uh, he was a professor of mine back in my seminary days, uh, and I have borrowed this and, and used it for, for this uh, uh, discussion and this uh, uh, looking at Scripture here, this maturity model. Knowing, being, and doing, or knowing, doing, and being. And so what Paul is talking about here when he says, you are light, it is a metaphor, of course, but it has several meanings. The first, again, we've got lots of feedback, Zach. The, the first is the being, and I brought a light with me. He talks about congregants that we are light. There's a being part of this. There is a, the, you know, the ontological could be the word, but there's a physical material reality to light. There's this, all this stuff and there's filament and all kinds of stuff inside but then there's this outcome this there's actually light that comes as a result so the light you and me as followers of Jesus we are more than the material parts light is more than just the material part there's something that actually happens and when we talk about light, what he's saying is that there is an ethical component to it. This is part of the being. There's an ethical component, our attitudes and our actions. There's something good about light. And then there's this, uh, this outcome. There's this, uh, something that exists, an effect that comes from light. There is a freedom, there is a security, there is a peace, there is a hope that comes with light, especially when it's dark. That's all part of being, and he is saying that's what you are, what you are meant to be, is this light. And then he says, he goes on to talk about the knowing, that there's an intellectual uh, component here, which is, he says, don't be foolish, but be wise. Know what God's will is. And God's will is more than that we become his children. It's more than that we get baptized, and it's more than we gather together. God's will is more than that. His will is that we turn, that we turn from the former way of living, and that we turn and grow and grow in comprehending His will. We continue to grow in understanding His will. That's the knowing part. What is His will? He says, learn and figure out what's pleasing to God. And then the third, the doing part, is that you actually do, the, you, you actually light it up. You actually do what you learn is God's will. And he talks about being grateful, giving thanks, and being obedient. And what Paul is getting at is in the midst of all of this reality that's going around, that we are involved in, what he's saying is, church, we need to live different in order to make a difference. We need to live different in order to make a difference. And if 
nothing changes, then nothing is going to change. But we're changing and we're becoming these lights. As a matter of fact, if we aren't light, then there's no point. Then we're just darkness, is the darkness that's all around us, unless we also are light. So a way to think of this, when we are orienting to this subject of, of intercourse and sex and so on, a way to think of this is, if we think of sin as alienation from God, sin as alienation from God, then these uh, things like um, uh, uh, sex and greed and so on, notice how Paul connects greed and idolatry. If we think of sin as alienation, then these are categories when, wherein we are tested. So when it comes to uh, greed or when it comes to intercourse or when it comes to these sorts of things, those are categories when, wherein we are tested as to our faithfulness and our allegiance to the Lord or not. Our, and we can be alienated from Him by the things that we do and the things that we think. And so, in some sense, what he is saying is, you know, he talks about uh, fornication and greed and, 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 and those sorts of things. And then he says, no, uh, no one, who, uh, a fornicator and a person who's greedy won't inherit the kingdom. And what he's pointing out is that it starts off with some acts of doing. And by the way, that word fornication, the Greek word is porneia. It's where I believe we get the word pornography from. Okay, so we're just talking here. But what he's saying is, look, it starts off with a couple of different acts. You start doing something. Casual uh, sex or, or, or pornography or those sorts of things. And what can happen is you start there, but eventually you become this person. You that it just becomes your way of life. You start off with one mistress, like Solomon. You start off with one, uh, you know, tryst. You start off with one, and suddenly that becomes your way of life. And this doing to becoming can work both ways. So that's why he's saying, find out what is pleasing to the Lord and work in that direction and become light, become brighter all the time. And so then this aspect of God's wrath. God's wrath is his absolute dislike. And his most certain judgment. But the interesting thing about God's wrath is when Paul talks about it, he talks about it in the present. So God's wrath is not something that is waiting for uh, people at some point in the future only. Certainly there will be a, a future judgment. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about God's absolute dislike and his certain judgment. And he's saying that that happens in the present because God's wrath in these cases is actually woven into the way we live today. So if somebody commits adultery today, they will experience God's wrath in the fact that their guilt will get to them. The way they live and the way that affects them begins to weigh them down. If you were struggling or you were caught in pornography, the God's wrath is such that you will begin to have a totally misunderstanding of what it's like to relate to another human being. It will affect the way you relate to a man or a woman. You will have this other way of thinking and it will just drive you down. That is God's wrath that is built in. It's kind of like if you think about a fire. It doesn't matter whether you are, uh, what age you are, what gender you are, etc. 
It doesn't matter whether you get caught or not. If you put your hand into the fire, it will burn you. That's how God's moral law is woven in. It's different than a speed limit. The speed limit is it only matters if you get caught. Not so with God's moral law. You put your hand into the fire, you will get burned. You conduct your life a certain way. It has an effect on the way you live and think and the relationships that you have. That's God's wrath in the present. If we think of sin in this way, alienation, and we understand as followers of Jesus to move towards him and finding out what's pleasing towards him, it should also inform and form the way we relate to people outside the church as well. If people outside the church, rather than judging them or trying to control the world, if we understand that people are walking around with their hand continually being put into the fire, that they're walking around being alienated from the Lord and that they actually need, legitimately need to be rescued, that they need to know this, that they need to be saved from the harm that is happening out there, then it informs and forms the way we relate to them. Rather than beating up on them, we try and figure out how to help them not be alienated and inform and help them understand what's actually going on. So then the church is missional. This scripture passage is not a passage wherein we, we uh, separate from the world, where we remove ourselves from the world, but it's actually a missional strategy for how to engage with the world. When he says don't associate with them, what he is saying is don't partake. The missional church follows the example of Jesus Christ who was with. Jesus actually knew prostitutes by name. And they were alienated, but through relationship, they no longer became alienated. They were drawn into relationship with him. So it doesn't mean that you remove yourself or keep an arm's length. It means presence without participation. Because you are light in a world that needs light. Presence without participation. Friends, I want to ask you a question here. Think about this. Where does discipleship happen? Discipleship necessarily happens within the faith community. Jesus went and recruited people from where they were working and so on. And they weren't following Jesus at the time. But he established community. And it was within that community where discipleship happened. When did those disciples become Christians? Friends, the church is, the congregation is where discipleship happens. We can't close the door, lock the door, or keep people at bay. They're alienated. We need to have them in our congregation because this is where discipleship happens. This is where we sort this out, where we have these conversations and where we figure out how to live pure lives, how we talk about the struggles and how we work with each other. I'm going to pause here. For a Q&R and and then we're going to finish up. If you have some questions, uh, you can uh, text or email to ask at SEMC online. 
You can send those in. I mean, if we don't get questions on this subject, then I think the mic is off. Or, or the reverse, everybody already knows all the answers, and there's no need to ask a question. If you want to uh, ask a question, you can also type it. If you're on uh, YouTube, you can type it into the comment section. And for those of us here in the sanctuary, if you want to ask a question, you can stand and ask your question, and uh, we'll take it that way. And we'll take uh, just a, a few minutes uh, here to pause. Um, you know, I was uh, uh, saying to uh, someone here in the sanctuary earlier, when I was greeting people, I had my scarf on, and I was trying to stay warm. And then I, I was saying, when I come up here, I kind of get hot and w warm and stuff, and, and that seems to have been the case again. Maybe I'll, I'll, turn this, I'll turn this off. I don't know if this is casting any heat or not, but... I don't think it's that that's casting heat. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I might be getting fired after this is over. No. It's good. I can't believe you used a three-letter word here in church. Why, well, you, you, and then you're getting me in trouble. So do you have Boy, some... it's so good, though, that we can talk about this in the church. We need to talk about this we in the totally church. We totally need to Because talk. the world is, uh, how do you say it, eating our lunch on this stuff right. and telling yeah. all sorts of... Uh, yeah, exactly. They're talking about it. Messed up stuff. Yeah, and exactly right. So if we're not talking about it, they're, you yeah. know, we're getting messages from other places. Yeah, exactly. So thanks for bringing this up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and maybe I missed some of this too, kind of coming out. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm just checking my uh, the list here. Okay, so uh, how would you describe the connection between sexual immorality and greed? Uh, I think that's uh, coming from verse three. Right. The connection between sexual immorality and greed. Right. Right. So, yeah, I, I was wondering about that. <clears throat> there's, there's two ways of looking at that. <clears throat> One is um, that, that he, he's talking about uh, sexual immorality, and he doubles down because fornic fornication and sexual immorality in Greek are very similar. Um, and then he talks about greed. Now, it could be that he's talking about greed as in... Um, uh, financial or material greed, and that's where he links it with idolatry, where we worship um, basically where materiality becomes our God. But I also heard another scholar talk about sexual greed, where you're in a relationship and it's all about you, even when it comes to the matter of intercourse, where it's all about you, which is contra to what Scripture talks about, uh, mutuality, where actually the, the, the man gives to the woman and the woman gives to the man, and in that way uh, uh, fulfills, fulfills the uh, relationship mm. that's intended or designed by God. So it could look in both those cases. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is sex dirty? Right. Yeah, another good question. Absolutely not. Okay? And this is, this is part of the, 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 the problem is, is that that's been erroneous, uh, an erroneous message, an accidentally uh, uh, message that has come out from the church. Clearly, it's not. It, it's God's in, innovation. Um, he created. We are created. Human beings are gendered creations. And He has created us to be fruitful and multiply, right from Genesis and all the way through. Okay? So it's his design, and it's meant for uh, uh, in the bonds of, 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 of marriage. Mm -hmm. So it's absolutely wonderful. It's just, the, the, so, so the artist, the grand artist, the Lord, God, creator, has created and designed a certain way. The forger 
is trying to deceive and distort what the grand artist has created and designed. Mm. And that's where we get into trouble. You know, I think that's so good because we do hear sometimes that sex is dirty. And as children growing up like that, we hear that. Right. Um, And uh, so we don't talk about it. And so we know, okay, we learn from the world or whatever. And then we get married and now all of a sudden it's okay. And now we're going, right. Right, uh, and, and, and a, a large part of it, if we just would slow it down for a second, a, a large, a, a major reason hmm. could be um, that it's an unfortunate shortcut. Adults don't want to talk about it, so they just say, look, it's, you know, I don't want to talk about it, it's dirty, or we try and warn our children off of doing anything uh, outside of marriage, and so we take these, these horrible shortcuts. Hmm. I don't want to talk about it, or don't get into that, or, and we just clamp it down, mm. as opposed to actually having some meaningful conversation. Mm. To say it's good in the context and, that and God has exactly created it. right. What is it actually all about? This mm. aspect of desire. Right. So parents yeah. communicate that it is good in the context of marriage exactly. to your children. Yes. And, and yeah. um, uh, Professor Mark Lewis, he's a neurologist mm. and a professor of developmental psychology. He's written this book called The Biology of Desire. And he hmm. goes on to say why addiction is not a disease. And he, he describes from a neuroscientific and a biological perspective what is desire is all about. And this is what I'm getting at when I say that hmm. discipleship happens in the community. Is we need to, in the community, learn how to rightly ascribe, rightly apply and manage our desires. Hmm. That's Amen. where we need Amen. to start talking about it. Together. Because we have them. So you go listen to the world, they'll tell you, oh, well, just chip it in, whatever goes. Right. Very good. Okay, so verse 5 is, uh, can be very troubling at the surface, so I wonder if it would be good to unpack that a bit. Uh, it, it says, uh, no immoral, impure, or greedy person uh, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Right. Well, then, who can? Right. Yes. Uh, because. Yes. Right? Whew, yes. Don't raise your hand. Right. But, right. So we've had these, because even hmm. Jesus' teaching in, in Matthew 5 says, if you have, um, he, he brings, Jesus brings the external to the internal, and he says, if you've thought about another man or a woman and lusted after them, hmm. you've committed adultery. So then who can? So this is where, <clears throat> excuse me, um, what I was talking about, what Paul is getting at here is he is saying that, um, he, he is saying that people that practice this continually eventually become this. So, uh, for example, I, I have not met somebody who's an alcoholic who has said, when I grow up, I want to be an alcoholic. Mm. I have not met someone who is absolutely addicted to pornography who says, you know, when I grow up, I want to be addicted to pornography. Mm-hmm. It's just that these, ta- these, these things that we do on a daily basis eventually become, now become mm. who you are. And what Paul is saying is, if you practice these things, that is the direction you're going, then that is who you eventually become, and that person is not a person who can inherit the kingdom of God. So a couple of things need to happen then. We need to change the trajectory of where our life is going, and what uh, uh, Scripture says is, with God all things are possible. That person, without the saving work of Jesus Christ, won't inherit. So he, he or she needs the conversion, the, the, the change brought about by the Holy Spirit. Hmm. 
Alienation, run amok. Without being in relationship with Jesus, you don't inherit mm. the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's good. Just the thought, too, of, you know, we, we struggle with these things. And I hope that as Christ followers, we also can say, hey, you know, I do struggle with this. Right. Or, oh, I'm tempted for right, this. Right, right. But we often, hey, if I, don't, if I can't talk to my discipleship group, then I, then I live in shame and exactly. isolation. right. And right. I can, you know, go further to that. So, so what the enemy's trying to do is he's trying to get us to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Silence. And what we see scripture doing and what we see God doing is it's called revelation. It's called light. It's open it up. Mm-hmm. Paul says, live as light and expose. Expose means talk about it. Yeah, right. James 5, 17, right? Confess your sins to one another right. so that you may be healed. Exactly, dude. Yeah. Hey, here, this is my struggle. Yes. This is, yeah. Yeah. oh, life groups. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, accountability partners, close yeah. friendship groups. Yeah. We need to be having these conversations. Yes. Gary, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we absolutely do. Okay. Can I, uh, oh, yeah, actually, you touched on that one. Okay, but here's a comment, okay. uh, less a question, but comment. Uh, we should talk about sex in the beautiful, innovative, and creative aspects that you are talking about, and not just in a warning way. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yes, and again, so you know, proactive. you and I have talked about this. God is hmm. for us, not yeah. against us. The gospel is a gospel for. It fills in. Yeah. And it isn't against so that rotation, when we think even about a subject like this, what is God for, not what is he against? Mm. Um, BP is getting the hook, dude. He's, <laughs> the red light's flashing here <laughs> that says, get they've off the just, stage. They've just canceled. They're like, forget <laughs> it. You're so far over time that we are now just canceling all the right. whole, whole thing. We need to continue on this conversation. Yes. It's not going to be all answered in five no. minutes. But. Uh, yeah, and, and so, so I want to just uh, uh, finish here by saying a couple of things. Listen, first of all, uh, friends family, avoid pursuing Hmm. the false positives. Avoid pursuing the the parodies. Avoid pursuing the forgery. Those things that you have desires and and, and so on, but if you're pursuing them uh, other than the way God has designed them, it is false and it is ruinous. It's kind of like drinking... uh, a can of pop as opposed to drinking some nutritional drink like milk or Gatorade or something. You, it, it has the appearance of being great. And it might, that greatness might last for two or five minutes. But then ultimately it kills you. Okay? So avoid it. Instead, pursue what pleases the Lord. Pursue knowing God's will. And here I want to say something. And I'm going to give a shout out here. To the people that are single in our congregation. A shout out to the singles who are practicing celibacy. You are the heroes. Friends, the trajectory in the New Testament is actually the default is be single. Paul says get married if you have to. And we have accidentally, erroneously or otherwise, looked down on people who are single, shamed people who are single, or somehow conveyed the idea that until you're married, you just don't have it quite right. When really, being single and celibate should be celebrated, and we should look to these people and say, how are you doing it? And we should be encouraged by them, and we should encourage them, and we need them, and we love them, and they're amazing. 
And then with, with regards to systems and structures, could you imagine, rather than those systems and structures that are already in place in our world, imagine new systems and structures. Garth was talking about, this, for example, that in life groups we get together and we talk about it. Imagine young people, or you're in the workforce, imagine a new structure or a new system wherein you actually talk about this, where you actually help each other, and you talk about desires, and you talk about these things. Imagine you actually help each other. Imagine that. And then imagine giving thanks. Uh, Dr. Margaret Visser, uh, professor of classics and literature and um, an author, and she wrote a great book called The Gift of Thanks. I mean, yes, we have desires. Do you know how many blessings the Lord has bestowed upon you? I mean, recall to mind the blessings of the Lord and give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks that you are exactly the same, but different. 